The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. I'm so excited about this segment because I'm also a big fan of the show. The Friends experience, the presser just had, oh my God, at the top of it. I can hear it in the infamous voice of the infamous <laughs> character. And I'm joined now by George on the line, one of the producers of the Friends experience. George, tell us about what is the Friends experience for fans and maybe not so many fans of the show. Well, the Friends experience is the ultimate celebration of, well, the world's greatest TV show ever, Friends. Um, for fans who, or anyone who's ever watched this show, it is a, it's a completely unique TV show. And actually, what this experience does is allows you to really immerse yourself in the world of Friends. So you get to go on to the sets, Monica's apartment, Joey and Chandler's apartment, Central Perk. We have incredible photo ops, behind-the-scenes content, props and costumes from the show. And it really, for any fan, it's a, one of those pinch-me-yourself kind of moments when you first go into the world of Friends because they're such iconic sets with that purple of Monica's apartment. You know instantly when you're on that set where you are. So that is what the Friends experience is. And it's so exciting because Friends has taken a resurgent from someone of my vintage. I grew up watching Friends and to see it back as more popular than ever, the people are wearing the t-shirts, they're being able to share more memes and TikToks and behind the scenes online. It's absolutely made a resurgent in the last few years, hasn't it? It really has. And that is, it's incredible. When you think about it, this TV show is 29 years old. It predates the internet, predates mobile phones. And yet it finds a whole new generation of fans who love it. Uh, and it's pretty unique. There's not many TV shows that can do that. And I think that the, the reason why it does is, is, if you think about it, friends, like all the themes and all the storylines are completely universal. They don't age, they don't date. Those six characters and the friendships and the relationships and the love story between Ross and Rachel is so epic and so believable that actually it doesn't matter how old you are you turn on friends and you feel instantly like it's an old it's an old friend it's like it's the world's comfort blanket so i think it it is exactly that it keeps finding new audiences and that's why it's the perfect uh, world for us to create this experience with i don't know if you've ever seen the reunion that came out uh, with the six characters they came together for of course we have for the show and like that they they did a piece in it of people around the world sharing their experiences of why they're fans literally from four corners of the globe and each of them said they can put it on and it feels like their friends are in the room with them that they have grown up alongside these people and created a connection that they can just mellow out stick on friends and you'll be okay what is the biggest hook do you think for people to be able to travel the world now that you're a part of the experience that it can literally speak to everybody it's that really funny thing that people people really and genuinely identify with those characters with those six characters and the relationships between them where people it it almost is that kind of um, emotional attachment that people have to these characters and that you do feel when whenever the world is a dark place and frequently it is it's it's friends that people turn to it's like Mm -hmm. it is like I, i often describe it as the world's comfort blanket you always feel like and the world's okay. I'm watching Friends. <laughs> and what I love about it is that you, it doesn't matter where you dip in and out. There's 10 seasons of Friends. You can watch, you can just start at any point. You don't need to know what happened in the episode before, or, you know, you instantly can pick it up again. And when people have had a long day or they've had a stressful day at work, that's what they do. They put on Friends. So, um, so yeah, it is. It's a completely unique show. And that reunion really actually just served to show that this doesn't come along very often. 
and people who are fans can finally take the celebration in person and go see the Friends experience that's coming to Ireland. It's coming to Dublin next month in October. The first uh, showing was in Europe was in Paris and Brussels had over a quarter of a million Friends fans attend alone and it's also been to the UK in Birmingham. But it's coming to Ireland. What can fans expect from the experience, George? Well, fans can expect to have the best day out. Um, They uh, truly feel like they can immerse themselves in the world of Friends. Now, what's great is that you don't just look at the sets and say, wow, that looks identical to, you know, whatever, Monica's apartment or Ross and... Uh, Russell's pivot moment or whatever but actually you get to do it the fans get to go on the sets they get to hold the sofa and shout pivot they get to uh, pose on the iconic orange sofa in front of the fountain where they can recreate the titles Um, and of course you end up on Central Perk where you can sit on the sofa and pretend you're having your coffee you can go into the Gunther position behind the counter and any moment you feel as if Phoebe's about to start playing her <laughs> guitar and singing at you. Every, what, what I love about it is I watch the fans' reaction uh, to creating these moments, and you get obviously incredible photos that you know, and photo ops that you can then share. But what I love is that you watch their reaction, and it is like it's a bit of a kind of one-off experience being on the set of your favourite TV show, and it really does feel as if the cameras have just stopped rolling. These are exact replicas approved by Warner Brothers, who created the show. Um, And of course, at the same time, we do have approved archives. So actual props and costumes from the Warner Brothers archive over in California. So it's a kind of authentic experience where you can also go a bit under the surface and learn about how the show was created, how they cast those characters, the costume design and the set design and all those elements as well. So it really is like the, the perfect Friends experience for anyone who loves the show. And the experience is coming to Ireland, like we said. It's been around the world. It's finally coming to our doorsteps in October. Tell us about the arrival of the date that people can start going and how long it's going to be here for. Yes, you're right. It is so exciting. We're so excited to bring it to Ireland. And yeah, the location we found in Dublin is spot on. It's in the Point Square, so right in the centre of town. And you're right, we're going to be taking up residency there. So the Friends Experience will be opening on the 25th of October and running all the way through the winter. Um, So yeah, anyone who is a fan of Friends or who likes the idea of this kind of immersive experience, uh, get online and check it out. It is friendstheexperience.com forward slash Dublin. All the details are on there. You can book your tickets and uh, yeah, we're open from the end of October onwards. So we can't wait to get that orange sofa over to Dublin. I can't wait to sit in the orange sofa, George. When I saw this news broke, it was on every publication I could see online in Ireland. People were commenting, tagging, sharing. People were so excited. And there's already pre-sale tickets available to pre-book your ticket to go see it. So it's the Friends Experience. It's coming to Dublin on the 25th of October. To find out more information, you can visit www.friendstheexperience.com forward slash Dublin. George, thank you so much. Will I see you there? You will. I will be there and I can't wait to see you there. Fantastic. fantastic. (laughs) See you on the orange sofa for a coffee. Take care, George. Talk (laughs) soon. See you there. (laughs) The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103.
restaurateur, cookery school owner and teacher, TV presenter and personality Paul Flynn from Dungarvan in Waterford joins me on the line now to discuss the new venture, not his first but his fifth cookbook. And Paul, you're very welcome along to the Sunday Grill. It's exciting times. It's finally been launched. It launched in the last week. Tell us about the fifth book that you just published. Uh, thanks for having me, Jolene. Uh, so this is a compendium of uh, all my Irish Times articles and recipes. I was writing for the Irish Times from 2019 to 2022. So it's every single recipe that I did, along with all the articles. So 152 articles and 450 recipes. So it wow. really is, is, I suppose, charting the, the very unusual times that we have been through because it was right slap bang in the middle of COVID. And it's all about, it's a diary, essentially, and it just takes us through week by week um, of what happened in the tannery restaurant, you know, the lockdowns, the, the, our, our takeaway endeavours, then we were completely locked down, you know, the food we had at home and the things that were happening. And then when we could break free, I suppose, you, that there's various other stories in there. So it's as much a reading book as it is. A, a recipe book and I hope people get enjoyment because I know a lot of people used to read the Irish Times when I was writing for them so it's really it's a one-stop shop for all the recipes that they, they that they want and also hopefully it'll give people a giggle along the way a giggle but also like you said it's it's a collection from November 2019 to October 2022 it's a very personal piece I'd imagine Paul for you to collect all of these things to look back at what you as a chef and you know as a person during the pandemic and a restaurant owner that saw you know, life went on pause for a long time. It's a very personal piece to have published. Yeah, I think that that's really a good way of putting it. It, it is essentially a diary. I tend to, I, you know, much of my family's chagrin sometimes. They kind of go, why the hell do we have to be in it again? But <laughs> it, it, it's about feeding our family and, and the things they go through. I mean, certainly at the, in 2019, my girls were maybe 14 or so. And then they went, it seems that they went to their rooms one evening and then came out uh, later as young women. And it was a, ma- a time for massive change. But th- there's also, you know, it's not a, a, a definitely a sad book. It, it was, there were unique times completely. But I always try and be a bit self-deprecating and see the funny side of life. That's really important to me. And um, there's stories in there that I hope people enjoy uh, of various travels that I man- managed to intersperse because I love writing. I love cooking and I love teaching. And of course, we have the Tannery Restaurant for 26 years now. But this is another outlet for me that I really enjoy. Uh, it's your fifth book and it's a very poignant one. It's also a personal piece, but it's a, it shows a, a, a resilience as well. You've not only been in the uh, the industry for, like I said, 26 years and made it through the pandemic. It's a very resilient piece to be able to stand proud and look back. Uh, I, I'd imagine it, it brings you great pride to, to, to publish this book. It does. It's something that I never thought I had, uh, that I would have again. I mean, I had four books out already, but yes... I, I didn't want all these recipes and all the writing to go to waste. So how it happened is that there's a woman that I really admire, and she's a publisher um, from Nine Bean Road Books. And she had this little series of books. Um, and uh, I, I was such an admirer. So I rang her and said, could I be part of your, your series? They're called Blaster Books. And they're beautifully illustrated. Uh, and she said no. Uh, <laughs> and I was kind of wounded briefly. And she said, but I will do a big book with you. 
So that was the start of it. That was kind of, and when she said a big book, she really meant a big book. Mm. And I didn't want these recipes to lie fallow and just be forgotten about. You, you know, I suppose in a way there was a bit of ego uh, in there as well. But yet to have them in a big, beautiful book like this, I, I'm thrilled. And and there is, and you're right. I mean, there it is about being resilient and and riding the different waves that come when you're in business and all the things you have to you, you have to deal with. But you you know, we we consider ourselves resourceful. We have a great team behind us and, uh, you know, we treasure them. And that's what gets us through all the time. And we're loyal to them and they're loyal to us. And it goes back again, not to keep looking back at the COVID pandemic, but food, it's a sharing experience for a lot of people, whether you're a foodie creator or a foodie eater. uh, There's great experience to be shared uh, and communication and connection when you sit down with a meal, if it's homemade, if it's in a restaurant, to be able to share the experience of enjoying a good meal and being able to enjoy the banter that goes along with it. When you look back at creating the book and, and the recipe that you made I see here there's a you know there's a posh bacon and cabbage steamed mussels but there's also like a, a tart flamiche and there's plenty of, of of hearty food for it there when you look at the things that you created during the pandemic did they reflect the time that we were in? I think um as I've gotten older I want simpler food and I also want to teach people that uh, or show people that people, you know, that you can be a good cook without having all these masses of ingredients and a lot of complexity and loads of pots and pans. It can be simple. All you have to do is get a bit of confidence in yourself. So th- there was definitely a mission involved in terms of every week I was writing that I didn't want it to be complicated. Mm. Um, and it did reflect what we ate at home. And, and you're so right in terms of what you say about like cooking is about people, whether it's your family or the people you have over at your house. Um, and I can't, in one way, it makes no sense. You you have to enjoy cooking because uh, you know there's no evidence of it left. You, know, you, you go to all this trouble, mm-hmm. you, you go to all this effort to, to shop and to cook, and then you have uh, a few hours around a table. But what they are is memories. You know, there's mm-hmm. nothing tangible left except for memories. And, and th- th- that's what I try and capture in the book as well. I have very vivid memories in terms of my travels or dinners that I've had with people, none of them posh, uh, but it all always involves really fond memories that kind of, I think that they're, they're the kind of the foundation of your life and it's really important to have them. And I'm so happy to catalogue them. And I used to, I had a very strict way of, you know, I like a little bit of discipline in myself. It's good for me. I'd get up before the house was up, you know, because I'd always get ready for breakfast for the girls and, and uh, do their lunches and all that because they're in fifth and sixth year now. But before, you know, the sun came up in the winter and I'd be in there writing and, and I enjoyed it. And I, it, it's a very reflective thing to write and it's very um, cathartic. I, I, I felt good after it. And, and, uh, but often I would absolutely try and inject a bit of humour into it because I think that's what people need in their lives. If you're just tuning in now, I'm speaking to Paul Flynn, restaurateur, cookery chef, a, res- a, a, a TV personality and also a book publisher talking about the recipes and articles from the Irish Times that were published from November 2019 to October 22, now being put into the book called The Butter Boy, Collected Stories and Recipes. Um, like you say, Paul, the, the pandemic stopped us from making those communications, but food creates the communications. Talk us through some of the recipes that you have in the book that stand out I to you. Yeah, um, 
food is all about mood. It's all about the weather and uh, it's all about seasonality. I, I really believe that because when I'm teaching in the cookery school, it's always, you know, you're not going to want a, a tomato salad in the middle of winter. You're going to mm-hmm. want a chowder. You're going to want something, you know, warm and comforting and deep and hearty that makes you feel better. So you can kind of brace yourself to go out and, and, and put the coat on. So, I, I mean, the, the, the ebbs and flow of the recipes are absolutely got to do with the seasons. I mean, if it was raining outside, say, for instance, a really cold day, automatically, you know, I'd be thinking about one pot dinners and, and, and something that would come into the oven, like lamb shanks and butter beans and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, and then in the summer, and, and, and I mean, the idea that of the um, of the name is that I love butter. I love Irish cooking. I love winter cooking. I mean, my cooking changes completely. In the summertime, I use olive oil more. I lighten it all up. But, you know, the seasons dictate what you should use. And I love that. I mean, in a time that we you can almost get anything in the in the supermarket all times of year, you know, strawberries at Christmas time, this kind of thing. It is I, I, I'm fairly stringent in the sense that I, I, I really enjoy using things when when they're out, when they're available, uh, you know, when they're seasonal. Um, but the recipes that, that stick out, I, I mean, slow cooking, like those lamb shanks, there's so many. I mean, there's 450 recipes right. inside there. And, and you know, each each time, because I, I, I had to read the book three times again <laughs> when my publisher sent it to me. And this big manuscript arrived and I was going, holy Mary, how am I going to uh, get through this? But I did. I, I read it and corrected it and underlined it and all this kind of stuff and found it, you know, and my punctuation has always been terrible. and But my wife uh, was always always there as my sub-editor, if you like, before we'd send it to the Irish Times. But when I was reading it, it, it absolutely brought me back to a certain time. And then I had to, re- I sent it back and then she sent it to me twice again to read it twice more because she's really thorough. But what, what we have is a big, beautiful book that's different. And for the first time ever, you know, we're having the, the, the actually we had the Dublin launch on Friday. Uh, evening which was a great success and we are having a london launch which i never had before and i'll be surrounded by hopefully by my food heroes and there's been great support on instagram and and so general social media from from lots of amazing cooks and chefs and food writers and all the people that i admire so i have i have high hopes i don't necessarily think i'll go international but there'll always be hope and like you said, looking at the, the recipes, there's a quite, there's quite a range because there's 450, but what they stand out to me is they're adventurous, but they're very wholesome. Roast butternut squash with sprouts and Parmesan cream, lamb chops with sweet and sour onions and raisins, green and perky spuds. That I'd love to see the photo that goes along with that. Curry spice and cream fresh and steamed mussels and roast pork shoulder with hoisin uh, real range there for people especially coming into the colder seasons it's very exciting do you think there's a there's this is your fifth book do you think there's a sixth one in the pipeline well um, <laughs> do you the energy you know, first <laughs> I need to myself i need to give myself a bit of a kick because uh, i have uh, definitely gone a bit lazy i mean the <laughs> discipline is a good thing in terms of um in terms of, you know, when you know you have to have something ready every single week, you just do it, you just get it done. I, I've been asked to do another one, maybe a, a travel book, perhaps, you know, or, or a short story book. I am going to, I'm mean, very shortly, I'm going to New England, um, and I got to write about it in, in, in the States, and I got to write about it for the Irish Times. I, I love that. I mean, the idea of travel and um, and food it is absolutely where, where I want to be in the future. Uh, and also, uh, what I love writing about is the Camino. I've done the Camino four times. I'm doing it again now, not the whole load, uh, mm-hmm. because it's an awful lot. I don't have time, but I've done it a week at a time, the Camino in, in Spain. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, I'm doing another one in uh, in April next year. Uh, actually, a point that you just uh, touched on there, the book itself is as much a reading book as it is a recipe book. So the, there are no photographs in the book, but there are f- every single photograph is available on the Irish Times website. Okay. So you just log on to the Irish Times website, and so you just type in the, um, the headline of the recipe that you're interested in. You will see the photo there. And it'll come up. Well, I'm going to look up. To subscribe to that, but it's not very expensive. I'm going to look up the green and parky spuds now because because I, I said it. Well, best of luck yeah. uh, uh, with the book. Uh, uh, Paul Flynn launches the Butter Boy, and it's launched and it's in bookstores already. The collected stories and recipes, and best of luck in the Camino as well, Paul. Thank you so much for joining Thanks us, and so best much. of luck with the book. Brilliant. Take care. Thanks for having me. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. I'm joined now on the line by Helen Murphy, the Head of School of Lifelong Learning and Education in SETU to talk about lifelong learning and the range of courses that are available for people in the southeast and beyond to take up. Helen, you're very welcome along to the Sunday Grill. What's the objective for lifelong learning in, in the college? Uh, so good morning, Jolene. Very nice to talk to you. Um, so I suppose um, what I wanted to maybe get the message out there in terms of what we do in lifelong learning in SETU and, and what is lifelong learning? Because it's, it's talked about uh, a lot and a lot of people don't really know what it is. I mean, lifelong learning is really um, people uh, and an opportunity for people to come back to education or indeed kind of um, come into higher education uh, for the you know for the first time over the period of our life of our lifetimes. So it's I suppose it's the notion that learning doesn't stop at the end of school or at the end of college or university anymore. It's something that we kind of engage with or we encourage people to engage with over our full lifespan. Um, And that can be through degree programs, master's programs, but it can be through short programs as well. You know, um, somebody coming back for a taster. Um, Because what we see is, I suppose, um, there's the job market is, is very good at the moment. And there are people who are maybe looking around seeing, um, is there a qualification there or is there a short course that I could do that, you know, might increase my employment prospects um, or indeed um, bring me into a new career, completely change my career, you know. Thanks so much, Helen. Like you said, the accessibility for people that they're shorter courses or longer courses or tasters. Mm. What would you say to people who have always wanted to maybe try something and thought that, no, it's mm. not for me. I might have hung my, my studies up a while ago or they might not have, mm. have, have tried third level education. What would you say to try and yeah, encourage people yeah. to think outside the box? Well, I'd say, first of all, um, a lot of our students and a lot of our lifelong learners are coming into us for the first time. So the first thing I'd say to that individual is you're not alone. Um, In terms of the kind of choice that are available, lifelong learning and the kind of programs that are available have changed hugely over the last 10 to 20 years. And I suppose I'd say to somebody, the first thing is there's over 600 programs that we have in courses across SETU and they're delivered across four campuses And a lot of them are delivered in very flexible modes because most of our um, adults and lifelong learners who come into SETU, they're either working or they have kind of family or caring commitments. So they they can't attend a programme, you know, full time, nine to five. So all of our programmes are designed to facilitate that. So they're part time. Some of them are delivered partly online. Some of them are are delivered fully online. So and and maybe a key message for for somebody who is we offer, we do a lot of open evenings and increasingly um, we do them online and we advertise them on our website 
which is www.setu.ie forward slash LLL for lifelong learning. And we have, we have a, a number of open evenings coming up in November. So um, I'd encourage people to go on our website and register for one of the open evenings, take note of it. And, or, I mean, the, people can always drop us, drop us an email and drop us a message through the website and, and uh, myself or one of the team will come back and have a chat with somebody about if they're thinking about coming back to college, you know, because people have a lot of questions about that. But the open evenings have worked really well. We've probably had, we've had a couple of hundred people at open evenings. I was at two of them over the summer period. And it was wonderful. People just got an opportunity to ask whatever questions they might have about a particular course. And the open evenings as well, it's a it's an opportunity for people to see something that is on offer that they might not have thought of doing before. That it's not just about uh, advancing skills, but it can just be taking up yeah. something that just to, to pass the extra time to meet like-minded people. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm looking at one of the programmes that we have on our list for January. So our open evenings in November will be all about the, t- the programmes that are available that, that are going to start in January. And I'm looking at one of them on the list here, which is a certificate in plant-based cooking and sustainable practices. You know, so, so there is a wide range. It's everything from postgraduate um, uh, programmes in digital marketing, cybersecurity and computer science to um, something like a diploma in restaurant management, certificate in plant-based cooking, and there's, 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 I'm not, I won't go through any more. There's many, <laughs> many programs there, but um, but I say there's a wide range of programs. So connect in with us. You know, um, come to an open evening. A lot of them are online, so they're very accessible, and people have an opportunity to ask whatever question they want about the range of programs that we have. And maybe one point that I haven't made is that a lot of our programs are funded these mm-hmm. days. So we have programs funded under Springboard, um, under what's called the Human Capital Initiative and also Skillnet. So um, you might be looking at a program and um, it could be a funded program. And if you are eligible to apply and if you get accepted and offered a place on it, um, there's no fees. There's no fees attached. And that's really, really important. It's massive, especially for the times that we're living in as well, that there's able to have exactly. that support yeah, to try yeah. something new and whether it be a smaller commitment or a larger commitment. I actually mm. would, hell would you believe, I looked up these um, in the last yeah. few years for my own just uh, to see what was out there yeah. for a course in the evening and I came across the plant-based yeah. sustainability. It's a great okay, idea. Okay. It's not just all <laughs> yeah, marketing okay. and computers or digital marketing. No, There's a not. wide range it's there. Not. You'd be surprised at what you'd come no, across. But- Exactly, exactly. So as I said, look, we've over 600. There's, they really span a very wide range. And therefore, people to come in, I, I would say people come to us to, uh, yeah, upskill, um, maybe look at, you know, going for the promotion in work. But it, but personal development is, is really important to all of us. You know what I mean? So it could be something that you've always been interested in. So come in, um, come in and chat to us, chat to us online. And um, uh, we'll be, you know, we, we can talk you through what, what it entails, what the are etc etc and it may be that you'll find something that you're interested in and tell us Helen when is the open night in November for people to put into their diaries so I am going to refer people to our website because the dates are not fully tied down as yet. We, we're going to have a number of them and they tend to be in the evening time. We tend to do them about seven o'clock in the evening for about an hour and a half. So I'm going to refer people to the website for now, um, Jolene, uh, which is setu.ie forward slash LLL for lifelong learning. And uh, all details of the open evenings will be will be um, on the website. Great. And like that, it's in plenty of time for people to start thinking about it and mull it over, plant yeah, the seed yeah. for, for October 
October as the long evenings come in that they can tip out in November and take a look at what's coming up and those open evenings like you said Helen they come up and around again if they do miss the one in November Oh yeah, and please, you know, we don't wait for open evenings for people to come in and have a chat with us about um, a, a course. So again, go on our website, you'll see courses per campus, you know, so courses out of Carlow, out of Waterford, out of Wexford, and there's people people's contact details. So there's always an email address there that you can pop an email to somebody. Please do that and, and we'll call you back, um, you know, so you don't have to wait until the open evenings, I suppose. We're very happy Great. to talk to you all the time. And a reminder for people as well that it's not just for people who are postgraduates, it's for a range of entry levels and you don't Mm -hmm. have to have Mm -hmm. studied in third level before to try out these courses. Not at all. We have a lot of programmes at what we call level six, which is entry level. And that's for anybody uh, who hasn't been to, to, to third level before, you know. So um, so th- there's, uh, there's a large number of programmes at that level. And we have a lot of experience of dealing with, um, you know, adults who are coming into education for the first time um, or maybe uh, after a very long break from formal education. So um, I would say that we're... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we have a lot of maybe supports available to people and the lecturers and staff who work with um, our adult learners are, are terribly familiar with it because it's a different dynamic than, than maybe an undergraduate coming in, you know, after school. It's completely different. P- people are bringing life experience, personal experience, uh, professional experience with them. So, so the yeah, it, it's a different dynamic. It's a different dynamic and it's open to everybody to take an interest for their lifelong learning pursuits. Helen, thank you so much for joining us and yep. one last time direct us to the website for more information sure thanks very much Jolene and so website please uh, for anyone who's interested is www.setu.ie forward slash LLL for lifelong learning The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103 for movie lovers it's that time again my favourite slosh to cover on <laughs> and I've said it before and I'll say it again my favourite slot it is of course Brian Griffin in to review a movie that's been out this week Brian what's the movie what's the title A Haunting in Venice okay we're going to take a quick listen to a trailer of The Haunting in Venice Hercule Poirot I've found something I've looked at it from every which way. I am the smartest person I ever met, and I can't figure it out, so I came to the second. You are up to something, my friend. I've seen a million of these so-called psychics, each one a fake. I do not believe in psychics. Come with me to a seance. Spot the con I can't. Detective, you are here to discredit me, but I can talk to the dead. All I have to hear my daughter's voice. If someone wants to be heard, we are here. Listening. You can't trap us here. Somebody is dead. No one shall leave this place until I know who did it. A ghost killed her. There must be a rational answer for all of this. Just admit that you are up against something bigger than you. You were saying? Brian, you made your way to see the movie during the week. What What did you think? Do you know, it, so it's it's the third movie in, in, the, in the kind of franchise. It's based on an Agatha Christie movie. And it's Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh. It's been Hercule Poirot. It's basically a detective, famous detective, and for a new generation and like so he did a Murder on the Orient Express a few years ago 
Death on the Nile then also a few years ago but a few years after that and then this this year and it's, it's one of those things where he gets it's him he's the only constant in it and then there's just a cast of very famous people in it and this time it's 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 such a random group though because it's Michelle Yeoh Jamie Dornan Tina Fey are kind of the main like standout people in it but all the characters are very interesting like they're, some of them aren't the biggest names but they're very interesting characters. And going into it, had you seen the other movies? I'd seen the other two, but it makes no difference okay. because it's they're all based on different books. So it's like the same detective, but just different mysteries. So it's you can happily go in between each you can one. You dip in and out. Yeah. What did you think before? Were you, did you have expectations? The first one I thought was okay. It was an interesting thing. It was Murder on the Orient Express, which mm-hmm. is obviously very The only famous. one that I've seen as well. Yeah. And then there was A Death on the Nile, which I liked parts of it but it was so controversial at the time because Army Hammer was in it and like Gal Gadot was like the whole thing about her as well at the time and Letitia Wright as well so it was basically everyone that kind of got cancelled around that time they focused away from the movie yeah 100% so it was like the movie itself kind of was remembered probably most famously because the CGI and it was awful okay. so it was it had its issues like the, the mystery part of it was actually quite interesting but uh, the, the rest of it was okay but this one so I went into this one being like okay it's the third one they're kind of just lashing them out now it's not going to be great and I I was wrong I I actually quite enjoyed it yeah yeah is it one of those movies that you feel like will probably like a lot of movies they land better in the cinema because they're more of a two hour experience than a movie so this one yes because there's like very good sound design in this so basically what the premise is is he's Hercule Poirot is retired he's in Venice living in Venice and his his old friend played by Tina Fey comes and like, hey, we're gonna get you out of this. We're gonna get you back into the the swing of it again. There's a seance on. It's Halloween. We're gonna get you to go to that, and you're gonna figure out how this woman is lying to me. And uh, basically, that like there's this like the last witch that was like put in jail for being a witch, um, played by Michelle Yeoh, is is holding the seance, and he gradually figures out like if she's real, if she's fake, and. Uh, then it then a murder occurs, which at these kind of things tends to happen, and then it's figuring out the murder mystery from there. But there is like there's this sound design of they're in this old orphanage where like these children were locked in, and they're, like there's these children apparently around the place, but you can hear like these children singing oh. at the left side, and they kind of run across behind you in the cinema. Is it so. family friendly? Um, what's the age on it? A twelve, twelve A. Twelve A. So uh, haunting. Yeah, it's it's not. Eerie? It is pretty eerie, yeah. to be fair. Um, there was moments where the people in the row behind me did jump and scream a small No moment. way. So it is like it is kind of like a horror Animated thriller. Animated audience thing. alert. Yeah, but it was it was actually quite a good movie. And like it, you're obviously trying to everyone always thinks they're smarter than the detective and they're like, I know exactly what's going on here and then something happens, you're like, Ah oh, no, I was completely wrong the whole time. And I love that. I love I love when when it's Call more intelligent card. than you are, like, you know, so it's it's something that engages you. For Would you watch it again? Minutes. Like once you figure out the mystery, this with these <laughs> things, it's like what's the point? Because I know what's going to happen with it. Like you, there's probably little clues and stuff you'd pick up on. But for for a one time viewing, yeah, I'd definitely say yeah. Okay. Maybe in a few years' time, you can come back to it again. Can you so, give it stars out of five? Uh, so I give it like a four, four wow. out of five. It was actually quite good. Like it was, it's one of those movies that I just didn't really expect anything from. Um, the thing that I was looking forward to the most is like I've been to Venice twice so I know it pretty well so I was like oh, I was there and I was there it's like oh I stayed right beside there or whatever so 
it's that was that's what kind of I was hoping for, and I wasn't really too excited <laughs> to go see it. But it, it it actually ended up being pretty solid, to be fair. So very good. So complain. haunting in Venice is in cinemas now. Now we don't have a second movie that we're reviewing, but yeah. I did want to chat to you from an avid cinema gore. Uh-oh. Do you find that in the last couple of years that movies don't stay in the cinema as long as they used to because they're going straight to streaming services. I wanted to see a movie over the summer and I realised um, quite heartbrokenly that it was already out of cinema after something like eight weeks and it was already you know on the skies or the streaming platforms or the Disney's and that they're not in it long enough anymore that people kind of have to see it when it comes out or else they have to just wait until it goes on their telly at home well uh, see it's it's one of those things where people complain that it's out of the cinema too quickly like me I mean eight, <laughs> eight weeks is a long time <laughs> like you're there it's like eight weeks like are you telling me uh, for one night in two months you couldn't go see this film that well, you really wanted to see well a lot of movies like The Meg 2 was out I didn't get to see that that was out of the cinema that I normally go to and there was a few others I was like I'd love just a good run of a week but that yeah. can't always happen. But I, I do feel like something like The Meg is designed for you to watch with your friends at home. So I feel okay. like it's nearly better. But also, like, so there is a whole thing of, okay, let's say, let's say for example, you want the same movies to, like, like in the movie cinema for the, let's say, mm-hmm. Barbie, massive movie, in it for six months. What that, hap- what that happens is another movie that you mightn't have, like, even known about is no longer not going to be in the cinema because Barbie's taking a space. So I, I kind of feel, in ter- okay, obviously in terms of it's a money thing, they want to shove out as much as possible, but it also gives more movies an opportunity in the cinema. To be shown, yes. Yeah, so it's like, it's it's there's a lot of like, so if movies are, let's say, in it for a month, two months max, like there's movies, if you go back in like the 1930s or whatever, and like, what is the, what's the one I can't give, it, frankly, my dear, I can't give a damn, the, the famous one, I can't remember what the name of it is right now, and it's killing me. It was in the cinemas for like four years. Four years. Yeah, and like, it's like, so is it that what you want? It's like you look at the cinema list and it's like, oh no, I saw that two years ago and it's <laughs> still there. Might as well. It's yeah. the only option to exactly. go see. So yeah, it's like, right. I think maybe like two months, like while it doesn't seem like a long time, it is. when you're saying it, it's a long time. It like, you know, it's more than enough time to, if you want to see this film the really re- badly. The reason I say it is because like that, trying to find the time to see the ones I do want to see. I went to go see Barbie and I had said to my mom, who was really excited that she wanted to go see it. And I, I actually ended up going to see it without her because I'm the worst daughter ever. Yeah. And then the same happened with uh, the Mermaid movie, uh, Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid. And I had to watch it at home. And I just don't think The Little Mermaid landed as well as at home. But I still loved it. Like, even if you have to wait for the movie to get at home, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. Not just that, but any movie. Yeah, well, it it is. It's like, obviously, the the experience of seeing something in in the cinema is insane. Like, I saw Grease there a few years ago after having seen it countless times. And it's better in the cinema. And same with I saw It's It's a Wonderful Life. I did Scream, um, the Scream uh, movie on its 25th anniversary in a cinema in Wexford a couple of months ago, or was it last year? And then Scream 5 and 6 came out back to back. Yeah. Um, they re-showed five, Scream 5 ahead of the Scream 6 preview. But um, it was one of the best cinema experiences ever. It yeah. was actually watching Scream in the cinema. There was only about 10, maybe 11 people there and someone brought like a... Uh, a mask ghost you know a ghost face mask it was amazing but also on that Disney um, became 100 in the month of September and some movies came back yeah. there was um, Toy Story there it was Jungle Book did you get to see any of them back? I didn't but I do see that there's a lot of like not just like Disney movies but just random movies Back to the Future like I think like I think um, South Park the South Park movie was in the cinema there during the week 
it's like just a random screening of it. And I was like, they just, I think they're just showing kind of these random things because there's a lot of stuff comes out. Like there's a lot of stuff on Netflix that's never going to see cinema. There's a lot of stuff that's like classics that you might never have seen in the cinema that like I would like. Okay, here's a question. Hit me. Here's a question. Mm-hmm. If you could watch any movie. Shrek 2. Uh, what was it? Shrek 2. Shrek 2. I knew exactly what you were going to ask. Any oh. movie in the cinema. I would love to see Why Shrek, Shrek 2? It's my favorite movie. That's so sweet. Yeah. I love that movie. Um, Shrek and Shrek 2 um, I asked this to my partner Dylan uh, O'Connor and he said Terminator 2 straight away Terminator 2 Yeah. Um, I'd love to watch The Labyrinth with you know the 1980s with David, uh, David Bowie. Bowie and Jennifer Connelly see, I'd love to see that in cinema it would be cool to see something that I ha- I like I, I saw Shrek when in, in Shrek 2 in the cinema when I was like 8 or whatever but it'd be cool to see stuff that I haven't seen because anything that I haven't seen I've seen the movie countless times but I haven't seen it in the cinema but then got to see it in the cinema or do you know the best version of what I've ever seen like the uh, Marvel movies they did like a marathon in Dublin I think before they did yeah, it like for 24 day. hours or yeah. something like people slept in the cinema and you know had food and brought their lunch and you know like took turns tapped out uh, if you could have a marathon of anything what would it be like even I, I personally at the moment the first thing that came to mind was the most recent season of Stranger Things just to get ready for okay. the next season oh, what I watch <laughs> this is uh, your final question that I'm putting you on the spot. It can be a TV show or a movie. Whatever you want. I would say the in-betweeners. <laughs> movie or TV show? All all, <laughs> all three seasons and then two movies. The Why two? not? Is there a third movie coming out? Uh, not that I know. Of. There's, I a, there's only two movies, but like there's only eight, like there's 18 episodes and two movies. I feel like that would be a nice... That'd be a funny day. Do you know what? I actually went through an in-betweeners phase um, uh, when I had a week off a couple of months ago, watched them all, and I went looking for the movies and you couldn't find the first movie. You could only find the second. Oh, I have But now DVD. I think the first movie's available somewhere. But They're you, fantastic. Yeah. They, they shaped me as a person. <laughs> and I know my mum will like give out that, that <laughs> it shaped me too much as a person. But. You're, not, um, you're not lying about that. Oh, anyway. yeah, yeah. No, I'm very mature individual. <laughs> Brian, we were here to talk about The Haunting in Venice and it went totally down the road rabbit hole thank you so much for coming in and we will chat to you again next week the sunday grill on beat 102 103